Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our study on Paul's first letter to the Church of Corinth. We are in our third week, and we have finally arrived at the end of chapter one. Uh, Similar to the book of Revelation, we will be in this particular book, this particular epistle, for quite some time. And remember, I am looking to also hit Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. As I noted from the outset on our study on Paul's two letters to the Corinthians, you are looking at, by way of volume, uh, the richest epistle in all of Paul's epistles. So certainly, as hopefully you are now aware of, (laughs) this is an epistle that is rich with just not a lot of theology, but how that theology is applied to our everyday life. Even in this opening chapter, we have touched upon so many different themes. So with that, let us just jump right back into our uh, study on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And what I want to do is just make one last comment to hear verse 31, and then we will uh, treat chapter 2, verses 1 and following, which is going to have us in the book of Acts, by the way. And just let me say this before we get into chapter 1, verse 31. When you have a footnote to a particular verse, take that as a sign. Stop your study and go to that verse where the footnote takes you, because often that is going to give you even more insight into what, in this case, Paul wants us to see, or in a more general, broader sense, uh, what the church wants us to see. For example, chapter 2, verse 1, has us going back into Acts chapter 18, because there is where we encounter Paul talking about Uh, his time in Corinth. So it would behoove us to stop and do that, to look at Acts 18 for a short while, and we will do that. Okay, chapter 1, verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast of the Lord. Okay, so did you see what Paul just did there? He said, let him who boasts, So he's saying, do you boast? Okay. (laughs) If you boast, boast in the Lord. Let it not be (laughs) what I did, but what God does through us. Let it not be what I achieved or what I accomplished, but what God achieves, but what God accomplishes in and through us. Earlier this week, I was talking about the importance of being vessels of clay, that we might be shaped and formed by the one true potter, capital P, that indeed we become vessels from which God can use us at his task. You see, my friends, there's such a deeper truth to what we have been talking about this week, that this is about God's gig, right? We are not in control. Certainly, we have a free will. But what does it mean to have a free will? What does it mean to live? To live well is to pray well, and to pray well is to live well. To pray well is to live well because it forms and informs what God wants you to do. Prayer is conversation with God. So we take up each and everything that we do to God so that he might 
form, and inform how we in turn are called to live in each and every moment, giving glory to Him. I was in a conversation with someone about three, four months ago, and they had not won the lotto, some big sum of money, but they won the lottery and it was several hundred dollars. And they asked me, Joe, what does this mean? What should I do? I almost feel guilty that I've won. Well, ask God, right? Ask God. Our God is all providential, all sovereign, and he wants us to go to him with everything. There isn't one thing that should ever be autonomous from God's will. Not one thing. Everything belongs to God. If you were to look at what links every saint, it is that one truth. What was at the heart of that, even their love for the poor, was how that gave glory to God. So something to be mindful of, especially in these opening chapters, where Paul has us focusing in on that great question, what does it mean to live in Christ En Christo, huh? En Christo, in Christ. This is the sum game, my friends. This is what it's about, the process of deification. Incidentally, I failed to mention what I'm going to talk about uh, tomorrow evening, and, and just let me put this out there right now. I had the intention of talking about what I was going to talk about tomorrow for our special topic Thursday, and it's going to be that question, are you saved or how are we saved? Certainly, it is a question that has been coming up quite a bit because of the Reformation. And uh, I'm thinking about it now because, well, this call we have to become deified in Christ. It's just not a one-time gig, but a process. I will explore this much, much more tomorrow, especially as it applies to the question itself. All right. So, chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words or wisdom. All right, so when I came to you, brethren, when did he come to them? (laughs) When did he come to the church of Corinth? Well, like I noted off the top, this will have us going to Acts chapter 18. Again, this is Paul in Corinth. Now, This section is, what, chapter 18, verses 1 to 17, but I will read here verses 1 to 4. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked. For by trade, they were tent makers. Did we know that, my friends? That Paul was a tent maker? Now, what's interesting here is verse 4. And he argued in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. So here you have a man, one of the greatest apostles, living a life. He's just not writing letters. He's just not preaching. He's just not catechizing. No, he was also a tent maker. He lived an ordinary life. Yes, he was knocked off his horse, so to speak, right? But he also lived a life. Should this not encourage you and I, all of us who live normal lives, ordinary lives? But should this not also challenge us to be mindful? What is ordinary should always be super ordinary. And it becomes super ordinary in God's grace. Now, 
what about Aquila and Priscilla? I want to speak to this here a little bit because this is, I think, quite important. Uh, Aquila and his wife Priscilla were Jewish Christians recently come from Rome, huh? Uh, The couple worked closely with Paul in Corinth, as we can see in verse 3. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they worked, for by trade they were tent makers. So Paul got to know this uh, Christian couple quite well. He stayed with them. I mean, have you ever had anyone stay with you for an extended period of time? Don't you get to know them? I find that so interesting to just kind of stop and think about from time to time, just the very ordinariness, if you will, of all of this. I think it's good to be reminded of this uh, quite often, actually. So from Corinth, they moved on to Ephesus. Now we know this because in verses 18 and 19, this is what it talks about, and only eventually to make it back to Rome. If you were to go to Paul's epistle to Rome, chapter 16, verses 3 to 5, uh, this is what you see there. Uh, They were longtime supporters of his apostolic work. It's interesting. If you were to go back into Paul's epistle to Corinth, his first letter to Corinth, how does it end? Well, I'll tell you how it ends. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, We'll talk much more about this when we get there, but listen to this now. Verse 19. The churches of Asia send greetings, Aquila and Prisca, and that's just an abbreviated version of Priscilla, right? Together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brethren send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now that's interesting. (laughs) His greeting just didn't extend to Aquila and Priscilla, but also to the church in his house. So when Paul wrote the first letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus, together with his own greeting, he explicitly sent those of Aquila and Prisca or Priscilla together with the church in their house. So hence we come to know the most important role that this couple played is what? But creating this environment for the primitive church, that of welcoming in their own house the group of local Christians when they gather to listen to the Word of God and and to celebrate the Eucharist. My dear friends, it is exactly this type of gathering that in Greek is called what? Ecclesia. The Latin word is ecclesia, the English church, which means convocation, assembly, gathering. In the house of Aquila and Priscilla, my friends, the church gathered, the convocation of Christ, which celebrated here the sacred mysteries. Earlier on in the book of Acts, we read how the church came together and celebrated the sacred mysteries, celebrated the Eucharist, broke bread. This is how the early church began to expand. So Aquila and Priscilla played a vital role in this. And so we should appreciate them for all that they did. If you want to know more about them, you can go into my archives titled Church History. If you were to go into, oh, I think it was April of 2014, we talked in more detail about uh, those two important figures. All right. How about 
Acts verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Okay, so that the Christ, Christus, the anointed one was Jesus, Yeshua, the one who saves. The one who saves us from what? Well, the one who saves us from sin. You know, tomorrow I'm going to talk about, are we saved? Well, what are we saved from? Sin. We are saved from sin. Verse 6, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. What's going on there? This phrase shook out his garments. Well, Paul symbolically refused to bear responsibility for the rejection of the gospel by Corinthian Jews. Their refusal called down a curse of blood guilt upon themselves. Verse 7, And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. I, I love the detail that Luke gives here. In the book of Acts, <laughs> his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you and no man shall attack you to harm you, for I have many people in his city. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half preaching the word of God. What did the Lord say to him? Do not be afraid. Coraggio. Was this not one of the great banners of the pontificate of St. John Paul II? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Why was this so important? Was this not a part of the first proclamation of the New Testament as it comes from the angel Gabriel in his angelic salutation to Mary. Rejoice, O highly favored one. Do not fear. Find courage in the grace of God. Find courage in the Spirit of God. Gosh, how important is that? Well, we'll talk about that here in a bit. Verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack upon Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, I should have reason to bear with you, O Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to this. Now, I've already mentioned and talked about Sosthenes, um, which would have been the associate that Paul mentioned in the first uh, verse of this epistle. And as I said then, I, I'll say now, we don't know much about this man, nor why he went, underwent this persecution. But what we do know is that he was a Christian man who underwent persecution. Maybe we can have a conversation with him if, if we ever make it to the heavenly Jerusalem. I, I find it fascinating that in some of these figures, 
that we know so little about, yet here they are in Scripture, and uh, they deserve our reverence for sure. All right, let us return to Paul's epistle to the church of Corinth, those opening verses in chapter 2. I mean, isn't it fascinating? (laughs) You read one verse here in chapter 2, and and you can spend so much time on it because it has us going to so many other places. And it's not chasing the rabbit in the hole. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and to help you navigate Holy Scriptures that we might be better formed in how God worked in salvation history. Is this not what Scripture study is all about? This is exciting stuff. It really is. I know I received an email from one of you, and you agreed with me, and hopefully many more of you do. All right, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There, Paul again is placing an emphasis on Him preaching Christ crucified. Just not Christ. Christ crucified. All right, verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in much fear and trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay, so this phrase, fear and trembling, a biblical expression for one's reaction, we can say, to the power and presence of Almighty God. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. If you were to go into the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 18. Again, go there and enrich your uh, Bible studies. Please, I really do encourage you to do that. How about verse 4, in demonstration of the Spirit? I think this might be as important of a phrase to help us better understand all of Paul's theology than any other phrase. Because what Paul wants us to see is that in the end, our life in Christ is a life in the Spirit that is demonstrated of the Spirit. So even the most dynamic proclamations of the gospel remain ineffective unless the Spirit moves the minds and hearts of the listeners to accept it. Did everyone respond to Paul's preaching and teaching? No. Did many? Yes. But what do we read throughout the book of Acts? Some people got up and followed Paul. Others did not. Yet this should not discourage any of us because many did follow Paul. And hopefully, in our own preaching, in our own teaching, if we are not only praying that the Holy Spirit may put His words into our mind and heart, we also pray for those who might be hearing these words. In fact, praying for the one who is hearing your preaching or hearing your teaching is a very important part of any evangelizing and catechizing. And humbly, I say, I pray for you that in our own journey together, we might draw closer to the Lord. So here in this verse, Paul implies that his own modest speaking ability was a weakness that enabled God's power to work more perfectly through him. If you were to fast forward to his second letter to the church of Corinth, chapter 12, verse 9, this is his very point. The idea running throughout everything that we have read up to this point is very much that God saves the world through what is foolish and weak so that he alone can be praised for the result, huh? What did I talk about in the opening? It's not about what we do, but what God accomplishes in and through us. 
Verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That we don't lean into man, but that we lean into God. This is what it's about. You know, my friends, feeling inadequate for a task we have been given can be a grace. How? Well, if we admit our fears and trust in God's grace to get us through it, a fervent prayer to the Holy Spirit can free us to proceed with trust and boldness. Certainly here we can take inspiration from Paul's own experience when after his Athens preaching fell on deaf ears, he arrived in Corinth in weakness and fear and much trembling and discovered anew that the gospel fired up, we could say, by the Holy Spirit, has its own power to what? Move mountains, yes, but in a much more grandiose way, move hearts. Move hearts. You know, that's the greater miracle. Did you ever think about it? You know, we hear the phrase, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And to see a mountain actually move, that would be an amazing thing. It really would be. But does a mountain have a will? No. A mountain doesn't have a will. You have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. But gosh, to move a heart, that's something so much more. Why? Because <laughs> of free will. Because of free will. I don't know about you, my friends, but mea culpa, I have the tendency sometimes to think that my words can move hearts. And these words that I have been talking about over the last three weeks have been so important to me because if nothing else, I have been reminded that, no, it's not my words that can move hearts. It's God's words that move hearts. And man, are we not acutely reminded of that point every time we, we find ourselves in a, a discussion about the faith that goes bad. This is about God's doing. If you have a problem with how a discussion goes and you did everything in your, your power, well, pray to God. Ask Him, what more can you do? Open yourself up to God. Let God in. Allow the Holy Spirit to put onto your heart what needs to be said. This is what it's about. You know, I'm looking at the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture authored by George Montague. And he here highlights St. John Chrysostom. You've heard me talk about him before. One of the great teachers, uh, catechists, St. John Chrysostom, that is, remarked on the impossibility of human reasons fully grasping divine revelation because it presents truths like what? But the Trinity or the Incarnation, which human beings would have never dreamed of. Listen to these words from St. John Chrysostom. For indeed, the excess of folly is in those who consign to reason things that cannot be ascertained except by faith. Think of the smith drawing out the red-hot iron by means of the tongs. If anyone should insist on doing it with his hand, we should vote him guilty of extreme folly. I love that analogy. So, my friends, even reason has limits. As I touched upon the other day, reason is a very important part to the Christian and Catholic intellectual tradition. It certainly is part of the crossbeams and girders of the whole structure of the intellectual tradition. But if you remove faith, 
you will fall on your face. Or if you replace faith with experience, you will come up short. No, it's faith and reason. Because only in the light of faith can we even begin to contemplate and understand what the Trinity is or what the incarnation is all about or why the God who has become man went to the crucifix to save man. And for that matter, how that same God would rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. <laughs> from the secular vantage point, this is all madness. Absolute madness. This figure, this person who we call Jesus Christ, he must be insane. Right? Who is this guy? Who is this character? Who is this figure? And yet here we are. 2,000 years later, and what, 1.6 billion strong Christians and Catholics? Let me tell you something. Are the hundreds and thousands of people who have laid down their life for Jesus Christ also insane? I tell you what, my friends, the most sane people <laughs> are those who gave their lives to Christ. Why? Because they understood that even reason itself has its limits. Reason itself ultimately points to something greater, points to faith, points to that great act of trust. And is this not what lies at the heart of our faith? Beautiful stuff. Okay, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are almost out of time. I tell you what, we will stop here at uh, verse 5 and just pick up here tomorrow. Again, uh, or I should say next week, because tomorrow... I will take up the question of how we are saved. Uh, and I hope to get some guests to join me. The typical guests that I've had just haven't had the time to join me. I've reached out to a number of other people, and uh, they are trying to free up their schedules to join me. I enjoy monologue, but you have heard me say it before. <laughs> Dialogues are much more interesting than monologue, so I am ready for some more dialogues here on the radio station. Anyhow, again, if you have any questions to anything that I have been talking about here on Seeds of Truth this week, but any other week, please don't hesitate to send me your questions, your comments, your observations, if they are in the stream of what we have been talking about in our treatment of Paul's first letter to the, to the Corinthians. I will treat it in our treatment of the epistle from Monday to Wednesday. Otherwise, I will take it up on Thursday. You have asked me about the question, how are we saved? So I will take that up tomorrow. Like I have in the past two weeks, I will give you the shorthand version, and I will give you the longhand version. So I am very much looking forward to that. And with that, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this time we have together, Heavenly Father, to reflect upon the richness of the inspired Word of God, that we might internalize these inspired words, and at the same time, integrate these words into our daily lives, into our daily actions. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, 
The website is joeholcraft.org.